listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Well, welcome everyone to the podcast. Nick's back with me this week. How's it going, Nick? Uh, it's going all right. Winter has come to Michigan and uh, the uh, the Orange Army's in the woods and, and it's gun season as of today when we're recording this. So people are already out there doing what they we're doing what they do here in Michigan. Um, and yeah, I, I probably won't be getting out much until after that. And, uh, you know, just got back from a visit seeing you, which was good. A little, little uneventful on our end. Right. But pretty good. Uneventful and it's still uneventful. So I think the, you and I spent roughly 36 hours, uh, in various stands in, in really two different parts of the state. And I think we've managed four whitetails between us. Um, no shots fired, no arrows launched. Um, and then last weekend, uh, I spent another 24 hours and, uh, I had, well, actually a little bit more cause I actually went down and hunted a few hours Friday afternoon, but, um, saw four that weekend. And I probably could have taken a shot at some of the does, but, you know, just really expecting some rut activity and just have not seen it. So I'm hoping maybe this weekend, we've had a lot of rain this week. It's been, um, I don't know if it's been suppressing the activity at all, but it's been some really, really hard rain pretty much all week. Yeah. And I, I think it's just me. I think I, I put the hex on you because uh, uh, the hunting was just hot here from what I heard. Um, yeah, that's what Rob was telling me, even though the, the, uh, so the hunt that we normally, that I normally join you guys in up there, y'all, it was snow for that this time. Yeah. They, and they had a really cool camp. They had, they had a couple campers and they had, um, they had John's lean to set up with everything was tarped down. They had, you know, the fire pit behind that, you know, I mean, it was a really nice camp. I wish I'd have gone, been able to go. I, I couldn't go the whole, I could only really go Saturday. I got out there Saturday at around 11 and I stayed and I, I hunted and then I, um, I left at like 1130 um or something like that and man it was good to see them it was just really fun hanging out with the guys and um you know it was a, it's a fun little camp you know it's a it's a it's a public land camp and uh john saw a bunch of deer uh john mudry saw a bunch of deer um jamie and, and his son nathan burkhead saw a bunch of deer um you know the the nothing was taken but there there was a lot of deer in the area moving around and rob and i saw quite a few deer too uh saturday night and um yeah it, it the hunting had been really good and a lot of people shot nice deer um that we know and uh yeah so i pretty much left peak rut activity to go down and and, <laughs> and steal all your rut activity and then come back and still not be able to do anything <laughs> but you know Go go ahead, man. It, no, was, it it should have been it should have been hot and heavy here, but uh, it it just wasn't. So. You did everything you could. Um, it it was fun. I mean, we hunted hard. They can't say that we didn't hunt hard. Uh, you know, and and hell, we were the whole time I was there, we were pretty much hunting. So, uh, did find out a pretty cool thing that if you were uh, if you're out of state bow hunter hunting in Georgia, you can. It used to just be you get your three days and and that's it. Um, or you get a week or you could get, you know, an annual. Well, we found out that you can, for like 14 or $20, you can add a day onto your hunt and you can, you can do that a couple of times. Um, so I actually got to add another morning, which was nice. So, 
Yeah, you, know, you got to spend another day, another morning in the rain. <laughs> it was raining again. <laughs> Every time we come to Georgia, it's raining. Well, and then, you know, the funny thing, I, I don't want to drone this on too long, but the funny thing, Friday, so I, I don't, as a lot of you probably know, I don't hunt a tree stand very often. Um, getting more into it, but not very often. Well, Steve had me up in this pine that wasn't very, wasn't very thick. Let's just put it that way. And we had some winds. I don't know how high high they were, Steve, but we were we were rocking and rolling, man. <laughs> yeah, it was so so Friday. It was rainy. Friday afternoon, it was windy. Um, Saturday and Sunday were pretty nice, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. Saturday, oh, great days. Um, uh, but man, we were swaying Friday night, and I and I was just. I was holding on a couple times there that like I'd, I'd stood up and then the, the whole tree shifted. And I was like, Oh man, and I wasn't used to that, but um, it was pretty, it, it made it pretty fun to say the least. But anyway, it's been, it's been an interesting season. It's been challenging, but you know, I still got a little bit of time left. I, I think I'm going to hunt grand Valley here in December and participate in that calling program. And that's archery only. Um, once the students leave, you know, we can, we can kind of, help the arborist out there so hopefully a couple people get some deer because there's way too many out there but i'm going to take advantage of that opportunity this year and and we'll see how that goes and and what about you steve oh i still got uh i've still got two full months officially today i've still got two full months of season so yeah. our season doesn't end until january 15th um so and i I've probably done the bulk of the hunting I'm going to be doing though, um, just because family and, and mm-hmm. I've spent, well, I don't have any more vacation time either. So, um, but I'll still get out some on weekends and so forth. So, yeah, but I got a couple holidays. I'll hunt over Christmas and a little bit on Thanksgiving too. So I always do that. But, yeah. uh, anyway, but yeah, we're not done, not, not packing it in, but you know, the, the, the best of it's over. Well, good deal. Well, enough about, uh, enough about you and I, we've got, uh, We've been trying to get this one lined up really since, uh, I guess, since back at Compton's. Um, joining us tonight, we have Mr. Greg Coffey from Java Man Archery. How are you, Greg? Good evening, gentlemen. I'm doing well. We got you. We got you out in the shop. I think you're. I think you're trying to work on bows in between. In between Nick and I, just jabbering on here. But uh, <laughs> it's good to be busy. Yeah, I have right? a hard time just. I have a hard time just sitting still. <laughs> nothing. There is nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, first of all, Greg, I want to say, um, you know, you've been, uh, you've been a supporter of the podcast since, uh, very early on. You, you were one of the, um, you were one of the, the first sponsors that we, we had, you know, sign up and, and want to actually sponsor some episodes. And, and I'll just tell you from, from my point, my perspective, my point of view, uh, a huge thank you for that. It's, it's, it's really helped us out a lot, and we really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. My pleasure. So let's just um, let's just kind of dive right in. You know, I, I want to get into talking a little bit about hunting, but I really wanted to spend the the, the bulk of this this chat with you around around uh, your your profession as a boyer, and and let's just kind of start with you know where did where did you start? Where did you um, how did you get your start in in, in being a boyer? Well, like everybody else, when I was younger, I uh, hunted with a compound uh, for a while. I just took one deer, I think, when I was in college with a compound and uh, kind of just fiddled around with it for a few years on and off. I didn't hunt a ton with a compound or with a bow. 
I've always gun hunted my whole life. Um, but then I think it was around 1988 or somewhere around that time I was <clears throat> reading Bowhunter magazine. You know, I don't think there were any traditional bow, traditional magazines. And when you look at all the harvests, I'd always get way more excited about the ones taken with a traditional bow. So I started looking at that. I sent away for some information, and I I think I tried uh, Rocky Mountain Recurves, who I don't, don't think has been in business for quite a while now. But it was like $500 in a six-month wait. I'm like, six months? That's a long time. <laughs> and, uh, well, it depends on when you order. It, true. Plus, that was a lot of money. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I ended up buying a, a browning recurve from a local store, and I bought it in, I think it was mid-September. Well, at that time, I was hunting with a browning compound, and I had a single sight pin and a kisser button on it. And as soon as I bought the recurve, I just swapped that stuff over to the recurve, and within two weeks, I was ready to hunt, just basically shooting the exact same way. And I ended up getting one shot that fall, I think it was like November 10th or something like that at a button buck and made it count. So your, your first, your first bow harvest was with a recurve, even though you started hunting with a compound? That'd be the, 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 that would be the second. I got one with a compound when I was in college. Okay. Way back a long time ago. That was the first one with a recurve in 1988. So then I kind of kept messing with that for a while. And then a couple years later, I got a longbow for Christmas. Uh, Ron LeClaire Hunter Special, I think it was. And I messed with that for a few years. And yeah, that was around 91. And then I got an inkling to make my own. So a guy I worked with loaned me all the uh, Bowyer's Bibles, numbers one through three. And I couldn't get enough of reading those. And finally, in uh, 94, I built my first bow from an ash stave that I'd cut down on our on a family farm where I hunt all the time, mm-hmm. made my first bow had, you know, turned out okay, or maybe even less than okay, but didn't break. Then I made another one, then start showing people and they said, Hey, make me one. And then it just kind of went on from there. I started with, uh, like I said, with self bows and then it wasn't too far along. And I started doing all wood laminated bows and then started advertising and it just kind of snowballed, you know? So, were were you just really kind of making bows then, just kind of word of mouth kind of thing, not not so much as a as a as a profession, just hobby on the side, or how was that? Yeah, we're yeah, exactly, word of mouth, hobby on the side. Gotcha. Because I, you know, I it was probably the fourth or fifth bow that I sold for like fifty bucks, and then the next one a little bit more, and then you know worked up from there. Right. So I was almost, you know, I was selling <laughs> from pretty early on. So what style of bows were you making? Mo- um, mostly just straight-end uh, long bows, kind of like hill bows, but earlier really flat bows then, right? No, just, yeah, just of, American, uh, American flat bows. Just, yeah. Yep. Hickory and ash and got to hold some Osage. I ended up making quite a few out of Osage. Were you, uh, um, were you, ba- were you backing any of them with Sanu or, or anything? I, I did a few. That's a, that's a whole other art there. Mm-hmm. You can... Uh, I used to go, uh, I was able to stop by and visit Lucas Novotny of Saluki Bows when he was in Ohio. When I was working, I was driving down to Ohio quite a bit. I arranged to swing by there on my way home once in a while. I learned quite a bit from him about the proper way to apply Sanu. Because 
you, you want when you put that on, you want all the fibers to be in line with the length of the bow, not crisscrossing and not uh, not jumbled around, so you get the maximum power out of it. And um, Greg, what was your what was your skill set that kind of transitioned you into building bows? Did you have like a, like any kind of woodworking background, or, or how did that how did that work out? No, I really didn't have any woodworking background. I grew up on a dairy farm, so work work ethic, I guess, is probably where that comes from, you know, working with your hands a lot. Sure, sure. But I wasn't really a quote-unquote craftsman at that point. Well, let me go back. I I had assembled two or three muzzle loaders from kits, a couple from the more complicated kits. So that was a little bit of woodworking, but not even... Not, not even though any of the tools were similar. Sure. Mm-hmm. Just a desire to do it, you know, and then you build one and then you want to do another one and then you start thinking, well, I can make it out of this wood or that wood and I can back it with sinew or hemp or rawhide, snake skins. There's, there's no end to the possibilities, you know, make recurves, bamboo backed Osage longbows and then bamboo backed Osage recurves and then, bamboo on the back and on the belly there's a lot of possibilities and all kinds of shapes and sizes you can make sure and and i'm probably going to come back to the to the black powder part um (laughs) (laughs) so uh, so tell us how did um so i know i know you made the 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 shrews for a while um kind of give us how did how did that get started and i guess what I'd like to know, Greg, is it is it um, did that put your did that put your other bow making on hold, or you know, I guess kind of walk us through how the the transition to making the shrew occurred, and and then you know moving from there into Java Man archery. Okay, well, I was making almost all uh, self bows and laminated all wood bows, and fiddled around making a couple of glass bows, and then um, Ron's webmaster. Brian Cole, he, uh, he knew me, and then he, he said, hey, would you be interested in possibly making bows for Ron? So I met up with Ron and, and John McCullough, who was making all of them at that point. Right. And uh, said, yeah, I'm interested. So they said, here, take, take it was a shrew light at that point. Take that home, uh, make a form. And John said, I'd add a little bit of reflex to it to get a little more power out of it. And so I took that, made my first form, uh, made a couple bows, and then uh, you know, just tryouts, little re- fixing to do, and then away I went. So I made made bows for Ron for nine years, from uh, late 2003 till the end of 2012. At that point, I just decided it wasn't financially wasn't working for me to do that, and that I needed to be on my own again. And I was all the time before that. So was that pretty much keeping you? Um, I mean, was that a was that a full time thing to keep to to keep up with the orders on the on the shrews, or were you still making bows was, for? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was making my own here and there. Probably eight ninety percent of the bows I was making during those years were for Ron, and that was a uh, it was all while I was working a regular full time job and raising kids. So I, I'd referred to it as my second full-time job. Sure. Kept me pretty busy. <laughs> and was, was, was it Java Man Archery then, or did that come after? 
Nope, it was, yeah, I was Java man before, yeah, probably back 96 or 97, somewhere around that. I was just like coffee primitive archery before that. And mm. then a, a guy I used to work with came up with the name Java man, kind of fit, kind of fits. Oh yeah. De- de- yeah, definitely fits. I, 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 <laughs> I, I figured, uh, I figured that was one of those where you were just sitting around one day and went, you know, Java man, <laughs> but it was somebody else that actually came up with the name. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as creative with words as I am with wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what do you, what is your favorite bow to make? What, what do you th- what would you say you're, you're known for what Java man's known for? at this point because i could tell you what i think you're uh, known for but I, i'd rather have you tell me <laughs> uh for for short bows that draw smooth and long draws in you know in long bows and recurves but the most popular model is my elk heart which i make between 52 and 58 inches and every once in a while people talk me into a 60 incher um but the 52 inch will pull smooth to 28 inches in the 58 inch to 32 plus a little without stacking. I don't know how fast I shoot, but whenever people ask me how fast I shoot, I say fast enough. <laughs> and, and nobody's ever complained that they're not fast enough. No. And actually, uh, so the first time I, um, I heard, I saw you and, and Java man was at the Kalamazoo expo probably four years ago or five years ago. And, um, mm-hmm you 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 had kind of a smaller booth at the time um and i was like oh java man that's interesting and and i kind of walked by it at the time and you know people kept on um you know people kept on saying man have you tried those java man bows those are so fast and, and <laughs> you know you just you'd hear it and then the last couple of years i've helped work the range at the expo and somebody'd always come with with one of your bows and shoot and it was man this thing is so fast you have to try this it's so <laughs> fast and smooth and and it's actually been quite common the last couple of years that people people really seem to you know and, and i mean when people say fast and and whatnot you know you could take that for you know, with a great assault or whatever, or quick or whatever you're, they're saying, but, but they, they do sling an arrow and, and, you know, they're, they're popular. People try a lot of them out when they're at the expo. I know that cause you're, you're talked up quite a bit. Yep. Yeah. My booth is generally, uh, three or four or five people deep on Friday evening and then through a good day, good part of the day on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's fun there. I do well there. Yeah. And what, so what, other than the, you know, the fact that everybody, you know, smooth to the cast, especially for a short bow, um, do you think it's the accessibility that draws people to that bow just the, the for tree stands and whatnot? Uh, more than likely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are intrigued by a short bow that'll, that'll draw smooth and shoot fast. They'll allow them to get in a lot more uh, tighter situations than the longer bow. I, th- I think they're just popular now. There's quite a few people making, short bows that are pretty smooth and pretty quick nowadays. Mm-hmm. I'm working my way that way, but I'm still, I'm still a big fan of the, of the longer bows. In fact, um, without giving too much away, we're, I've already placed an order with you for a, a, a 66 inch bow and we'll get into that in a minute, but I know um, okay. <laughs> we were, we were, we were curious how many different, how many different models do you offer? Greg? Too many. <laughs> I, <laughs> <clears throat> I think it's around 12. 
which, wow. which is okay until it's time to get ready for a show. And sure. then I just can't have, I just can't have enough of all of them for people to try out. So I end up with like the L cards by far the most popular. So I have the most of those and the Helms deep recurve, which is also a real short recurve. Um, that's pretty popular. And those are the two that, that probably get the most attention at shows, but then you always got people that want longer bows. So I have, uh, the Falcon is, is kind of a longer version of the Elkhart, longer riser, a little less aggressive limb profile. And I can make that up to six, 58 to 64. And then I've got an Assyrian recurve, which is kind of the big brother to the Helms Deep. And I make that 58 to 62. And then I've got some kind of Asiatic style bows too couple longbow versions and a couple recurve versions. I've got a mild reflex deflex longbow, the sweetgrass, make from 62 to 66 inches. And then the, uh, my quote unquote hill style bow, which I call the American, can make, you know, up to 70 inches. That's not my forte, but I can make them. And then my, uh, my new longbow that I just came out with this year for target shooters called the Impala. You make that from 64 to 70. And that one has quickly overtaken the order quantity from the Elkhart in the last month, going crazy. Really? Why do you think that is? I'm filling a niche. There was a very popular bow made that the, that the longbow target shooters really liked that uh, hasn't been available for three or four years. Their shop burned down. And so I was approached in May to see if I was interested in recreating a similar bow. I said, sure, why not? And then I got a hold of the right people, world-renowned longbow shooters, and they're get them in their hands, and, and everybody else starts paying attention. Yeah, it seems like target archery is on the, uh, on the upswing these days. Um, it seems like it. Yeah, I've kind of just noticed that even at the GLLI and whatnot, um, <clears throat> more and more people are getting into you know, you know, to, to competing and, and target shooting, um, you know, with IBOs and stuff like that, a lot, a lot more people seem to be talking about it. Um, so that's why I was curious. And that's why I asked the question. Um, funny with the variety thing, Greg, uh, I had always just figured that you did the short bow thing. And then when I, when I saw you at GLLI this year and I looked, you just mentioned that you had 12 models. I looked at your rack and you had like two of these, two of that, two of this, two of that, two of that. And I was like, man, he really makes a lot of different bows. And um, I just didn't know that. And, and, and the other thing about it is I was immediately drawn to the American. Steve and I love the look of like the hill style kind of longbow. And, um, and I, I thought, I think you make a beautiful one. That one immediately caught my eye. I mean, because they're just so simple and they're classic and, you know, they're smooth. Well, thanks. Well, it, was, it was funny. Yeah. You know, that, that's, I was, I decided I wanted to get a bow from you, Greg, and, and I didn't actually know about the, the hill style bow that you made. Nick was the one that told me about that, uh, or I wouldn't even known I, about it. So <laughs> I was wondering where you heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what it. you said when you're, that's okay. I figured that was one I just dropped a while ago. You know, I had it in my offerings and nobody was asking me about them. So I said, well, that's one I can just drop off and that's not taking up space in a brochure or on the website. And, well, leave it to me to just ruin and, your plans. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you okay. 
it, it's my <laughs> fault. Now every time somebody somebody calls him up and orders one, he'll be like, "Damn, Nick, man, what? <laughs> that's okay. I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna make a bunch of them to uh, have sitting around." Well, that makes it even cooler. Isn't that you're like, oh, did you, yep. yeah, you know, Greg makes these, but did you know he makes an uh, he makes an American style longbow? Like, oh, really? You know, because there's kind of like a that's almost like a cultish thing. Uh, yep. People who are into hill styles are really into hill styles, like in super yep. particular. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know how long uh, you've been following Trad Gang, but a thread started up about hill style bows probably around 2010 mm-hmm. it got so big they maybe had own, to, may, they had to yep, maybe oh nine yep 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 and and that went on it stayed on the first page for five or six years or more yep yep it was there when i joined it was there when i left and it's there still when i came <laughs> back <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it, has, it has changed much. Actually, it has. They 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 closed that first one, Nick. It got too big. The one that you see now is the second thread. That's the second thread. Yes, it got. Like, this thing had like hundred pages or something like that. Yeah, it got it got so large they were worried it was actually going to take the the forum software down at the time. I remember <laughs> something like that. Um, so they they closed it and started another one. Um, and you know it, it's. I've got um, I've got one RD style longbow. Uh, I've got some recurves, and I shoot them all. I, and I I can't tell you why. I just I always I always go back to the hill style bows. It's just it's what I really enjoy shooting. Um, I wouldn't say I shoot any of them. <laughs> I wouldn't say I shoot any of them great. <laughs> so so next Steve is part of that cult. Yeah, there you go. Well, and it, I mean, the only one I own is actually one Steve gave me, which is the first bow that he shot a first traditional bow that he shot a deer with. Wasn't it Steve? It was. Yeah. I got a, uh, it's a, it's a John Schultz, um, American longbow. Uh, oh, cool. Um, yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. In fact, you know, I've only hunted with it a handful of times, but I keep saying, I'm going to, I'm going to get a deer with it. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to do that because that bow is sweet. I mean, and and the thing, I fall right back into it every time. Um, and it's drastically that, different. That, what's that? Is that glass backed or is yep. it bamboo? Yep. It's the, uh, is that the, um, it's the trophy hunter. It's um, the trophy hunter. Yep. It's glass backed. Uh, okay. and it's, uh, I don't know what the, what's the riser, Steve? Is it like Myrtle or something like that? Or, or, it's, uh, it's Myrtle, 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 bamboo and brown glass. Yep. Yep. And uh, I'd fall right back into that bow whenever I shoot it. Like it's a little heavier than what I'm used to, but uh, when I, um, the moment I pick it up, it doesn't take very long to fall right back into it. It's just one of those bows, um, you know. And and the fact that they're so light too in your lap or carrying it around the woods or or whatever, there's just something about that. And I can't help but feel like more like Robin Hood or whatever when I have one. There's just it, there's a romance to them, I think. And you add a little bit of a you add a little bit of a twist to yours, Greg, from what I've seen of other ones. So I'm I'm actually really anxious about trying it out because of the um, the way you put a, just a slight amount of reflex in the in the limbs, but it still looks just like a a, a hill style bow. It's kind of just a little yep. different. Yeah, I just reflexed the tips a little bit, just a little bit to uh, help the string angle. And then, uh, then the form was just a, almost just a piece of angle iron. Or I, I cut the uh, 
cut out of a piece of wood, but I set it on a piece of angle iron <laughs> for the form. It's really simple that way. So gotcha. the limbs are straight out to about seven or eight inches from the tip. Right. Yeah, it's not from the pictures, Joe, and, that, and it's funny. It's We talked about um, – I was actually going to have you just send me one just to try it out until I saw the pictures of it and said, yeah, i got to have one of those. So no reason to even mail <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, that'll, that it's very possible. That may be my, my hunting bow next year. So, uh, I've been shooting a 64 inch the last two years and I, I, I do like that bow, but I, 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 I've kind of gotten to where I, a 66 just feels like it's the kind of the best of both worlds between the, the longer stable 68, 70 inch bows. And then the shorter ones that, you know, tend to be a little bit more you gotta you gotta be a little bit more on your game you can't it's not as forgiving as the as the longer ones true if and as you get short they start stacking pretty quick you know and i i don't notice that so much um and i don't notice the and, and i i guess i probably should have told you this but i I typically shoot three under but i i don't no, no, notice the pinch that a lot of people talk about with the shorter bows either so not sure why well in the hill style bow, even even a short one of those, you shouldn't get any finger pinch. Especially three under, you won't feel it. Right. But stack and finger pinch are two different things. You know, when your string angle starts to approach ninety degrees to the limb, then that, then you're you're not adding efficient weight anymore. You're just adding weight. Right. To the draw, starts loading up fast. Well, and I'll be honest, I thought real hard about, about getting one of the, the, the elk carts too, because that's a beautiful bow. I just, I want to get something that I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot and hunt with a lot, and I always go back to those hill-style bows. So. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. should get what you like. Everybody's got different tastes. Part of what makes the world go around, right? Definitely. I, it definitely is. Definitely is. Um, so, I guess, Greg, in, in, in your words, what, what, what makes, what makes the Java band bow special? And let's, you know, let's talk about the ones that, that you, you really focus on. Obviously I could sit here and talk to you about the hill style all night, but I know where you're, <laughs> I kind of gathered where your passion lies. So. Well, we talked about the, uh, you know, a short length bow and a smooth draw and they're very stable and they're very quiet. And I use a lot of pretty woods, and I think that helps sell them, too. There's a lot of people that, you know, even though a pretty wood doesn't make it shoot any better, it sure is nice to look at while it's sitting there. I think that, uh, along with the physical attributes, are what sets uh, why I've been successful, I should say. Right. Okay, so uh, let's, let's uh, switch gears a little bit, Greg, and, and let's talk about hunting. So okay. what, gets you, what gets you fired up to go hunting? What do you like to do? I go over to the farm that I grew up on, get up in my tree stand that I've had sitting there in the same spot for about 15 years, <laughs> and uh, hope some deer come by. <laughs> my hunting time has been pretty limited the last quite a few years, and just like last year and this year, I've gotten out a little bit more than I had in the, the years previous for various reasons, and uh, this year I finally harvested a, a doe. About a month ago, I think the first bow killed deer I've gotten in over 10 years, and uh, mostly due to just not getting out enough. And now I can't wait to get another one, but it'll probably be next year before I get out hunting again. Bow building I'm not a, pretty, getting me pretty busy, keeps, huh? Keeps me busy, and and I'm the one that keeps me from going too. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else is telling me not 
not to go affect my my wife tells me to get out there and hunt more which is nice as i as i grow older not that old but for some reason the cold weather i don't care for it nearly as much so when it's you know down below 30 i'm far less inclined to go out hunting i can't that, believe you there um i've <laughs> especially when this stuff starts falling outside and you're you're slugging through you know ankle to knee deep and and you know you're, you're sitting for you know, it feels like five hours and you're only out there for two and you're, you know, sweating going in, shaking after that. Yeah, it definitely gets, I mean, it gets harder as the year progresses, <laughs> you know, especially here. Yes, it does. And, uh, but 10 years, wow. That's, that's, well, congratulations on the dough and breaking the streak there. Um, but well, I can, I, can I, I definitely hear you on and not getting out enough. Um, I, I, although I love it if Jess told me to go hunting more. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. You, I could just see you arguing that no, I, I don't know. I don't really feel like it. Though I play that game, game a lot in the morning, especially when it starts getting this time time of year where I, you know, the alarm goes off and you're like, "Do I really want to do this today? It's warm in here, you know." <laughs> but um, you know, you're not the only yep. you're not the only bowyer I've talked to that's that's had a a difficult time go, getting into the woods themselves and hunting. You know, they, with orders, yep. and, and it's a good problem to have, but I, I could definitely see it, you know, good and bad, I guess. Fortunately, I have a long enough wait list that I don't have anybody call me right before season and say, we hurry up and build me a bow. Uh, right before deer season, I'm not necessarily any busier than I am the rest of the year, but I just stay busy all the time. And that's a good thing because my, my order list is my job security. That's why I look at it. I work spent 32 years in the auto industry and I finally was able to start doing this full time in April of 2016. I was just about to ask you how long you'd been doing this full time. I said it was a second part uh, a second full time job for a long time. Right. And now it's just Man. now it's just <laughs> just one full time job. Man, that must have got uh, real, that must have been never, a real busy time. Yep. And I've uh, never been happier. Look, I can see now why you'd have a hard time getting out if you're working in the auto industry and then you're building bows on the side with a wait list. I mean, I did, <laughs> that's that's a tall order, Greg. <laughs> yep. You must have had. I mean, you must really enjoy doing it then, um, especially if you're if you're doing it like that, you know. Yep. Well, I used to get up about four o'clock in the morning, work for an hour or two, then go to work, and then come home and you know work work on it some evenings and a lot on the weekends. And uh, now I can just put 12 hours a day and just making bows. That's awesome. And, and or thereabouts. What, what uh, what what bow do you usually take in the woods with you when you go? This year I'm hunting with an Eros, spelled E-R-O-S. It's a Asiatic style recurve. It's uh, 56 inches long, and I'm pulling about 44 and a half. I'm sorry, about 46 and a half at 29. <clears throat> and that 56 inch bow will pull to about 33 inches. Wow. Wow. Really smooth. And so it's that's no slouch. That's for not weed either. That's not one you made then, or? Yeah, I made it. Oh, yep. you made it. Oh, okay. So it's mm -hmm. it's it's called an arrow. Oh, it's a style bow. Is is the arrows? Yeah. Oh, yep. gotcha. I'd never heard that's, of that. That's my model name for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be different. That goes back <laughs> to that. That's there's so many models we're not able to keep track of them ourselves, uh, Greg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you. You should have studied up before the <laughs> podcast started. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, 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 so I, well, first of all, I, even if I had looked at it a whole lot, Greg, which I have looked at it some because I was, I was shopping for a bow. 
I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't look at the recurves. Uh, so, nope. um, the only recurves I'll, I'll probably ever buy would be, uh, would be used recurves, but, uh, yeah, yep. I wouldn't have been able to sense. all the names anyway, unless I'd taken a lot of notes and then we'd have just stolen all your thunder. <laughs> Same here. And then I, <laughs> I was, when I was down seeing Steve, the brochure was right there on his desk and while he was working, I was looking at it too. But again, I don't, I, I don't really venture beyond the realm of the longbow and, uh, that that discussion pretty much went went like this. Hey Steve, did you know he makes a D style bow? Yeah, actually, yes, I do. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's uh, that's really neat. I, you know, I, and I don't really, man, that is that's a really interesting hunting bow. I don't know many people that hunt with a bow like that. Probably not a lot. Nope. nope. I I had a uh, I guess I still have a longbow version of that one that I came out with first. I think I came out with that one in uh 2012 and um i have a longer version of the longbow called the tangiver and that one was around with me in the in the all wood days so back in the late 90s i was making those an all wood version then i started making a glass version then i wanted to make a shorter version of that one which i called the inferno and a guy that bought one of those said hey i'd like a recurve version of that and i said well that sounds like a good idea so i made a recurve version (laughs) of it and that's the that's the arrows. Well, I love the I love the Helms Deep name. I know what that's from. Yeah, that's, but that that's uh, yep. that now is that is that like a just because of the kind of shape resembles the uh, you know the bows they were using in the movie or, or <clears throat> where that or did somebody just say you should call that the Helms Deep? How did that come about? I just love it. Uh, actually, I had a customer in Germany that bought quite a few bows from me, and he wanted a couple just like Legolas's bows. So I made some bamboo, I think all bamboo bows. Uh, I can't remember if they were double curved or not. I think they were black with uh, some stained all black with gold painted designs on them. I end up getting a stamp. I could just stamp the, the design there. And then I decided that I wanted a glass version of it. So I designed that. And then uh, a friend of mine came up with that name for me, the Helm's Deep as being attached to the Lord of the Rings. Man, you do a little bit of everything. We gotta figure out a way though to get you in the woods, man. <laughs> Just have Steve. Well I did go <laughs> yeah, I I did get to go out east and hunt for a few days in October. Actually left I was out there uh during Halloween. So I hunted three days out there in New Jersey. But we saw just about as many deer as you guys did on your hunt in Georgia. Almost nothing. I I had uh, one deer within range, and it was a spike, and I uh, ended up missing him, but that's okay. I don't know. I'm starting to think you you, you guys from Michigan are just bad luck, or maybe it's, <laughs> maybe, maybe, you've got a, maybe you've got a natural deer repellent. Maybe that's what it is. Huh? Well, <laughs> maybe. I, I used to, you know, I, I there was a time where I might have argued with you, but honestly, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think I can. I, <laughs> and maybe and maybe i do i make enough deer blow at me that i i might have a repellent um at least at least greg's got the excuse that he doesn't hunt enough <laughs> yeah i heard you talk about that like, in the last pod heard you talk oh, about that in the last podcast oh oh yeah it happened to me again on sunday <laughs> they don't and they don't just do it once they they do it a lot but uh yeah I'd like to be able to just say, well, you know, if I hunted more, I'd shoot more deer, but I, yeah, I can't say that. So, uh, yeah, but you know, it's all, <laughs> it's all in the experience of the thing and it's all, all in good fun. Um, 
So you, I know, so you mentioned whitetails and just getting that doe. Do you like to hunt anything else when you do get out there or do you have any aspirations to hunt anything else or anywhere else? I've, I've not really had the opportunity to bow hunt much else. I did in one uh, vacation to Florida, one guy took me out pig hunting one day and we saw zero hogs. You know, I guess they'd been there the day before and the day after, but not the day I was there. And uh, they sure, it certainly wasn't my hunting prowess that they decided to leave the area. I'd love to try uh, hog hunting again sometime. My aspirations for going out west in the mountains are have diminished over the years, so I don't see a huge desire to do that. I think I'd rather just go down south in the warm weather and <laughs> chase some pigs or javelina around, or when it's cold up here and warm down there. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. About it. I, I love the hog hunting, but I can't. I'm sitting here trying to think. I guess I've I've gone a couple of times when it was warm but not hot. Most of the time when uh, most of the times that I've gone has been in like March and it's still it can be it can be pretty cold. In fact, um, a couple of years ago I actually went out and spent I stayed on a stand you know after dark which you can't do anymore. They they put a stop to that in South Carolina. Um, that was in March and. Um, when I finally, when I finally stood up to to leave, like at one a.m., where I'd been sitting in the stand, breathing, had basically just frozen to my clothes, and it looked like it'd been snowing on me. Uh, it was, it was downright chilly. Um, but you don't want to be in those swamps. You don't want to be in those swamps when it's hot. <laughs> it's just yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. Yeah. What I meant was warmer down there than it is up here in January, February, and March. Yeah. Cause it's not very warm up here usually during those months mm-hmm. and and no pigs to chase in Michigan. No, I mean, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, we've heard, we've heard there are some places and you always get the random person that talks about some rumor that somebody let hogs out years ago and they're, they're running around and stuff, but nobody ever see anybody harvest any or, or anything like that. So, you know, I, and yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a good thing. Um, but you know, I, I like to hog hunt too. I love it. And I'd, I'd like to do it more and I'd like to go down and do it more. And Havelina is something I've always wanted to do. Havelina just, I think I, I saw a tread Barta show one time where he was hunting Havelina and that kind of hooked me. I, I really, I'd like to try that. That just seems like a, like a bow hunter's animal right there to hunt. Yep. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. I won't get around to doing it one day. I haven't had the chance yet. Um, I've been saying I was going to go to Texas to hunt whitetails for years and just never have made it. Um, one day, one day fairly soon, maybe. Right now, I've still got the out west bug. I'd rather go out there than just about anything myself. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you sounds like you, you've been having fun in Wyoming. We, you know, we had a lot of fun in Wyoming. I wished we'd have. I wished we'd have had more success from a hunting perspective. But you can't. Well. I guess you could. I, I would find it hard to believe you could actually go out there and not have a uh, an enjoyable hunt, whether you whether you killed anything or not. It's just it's just gorgeous country. And you said your aspirations for going out there have uh, have dwindled, Greg. What uh, what have you have you hunted out west? Uh, only a couple times, but it's been a long time since I went. And then we were rifle hunting. So I mean, back in the late '80s, I think was when I was there. Went to Colorado once when I was in high school. My best friend from high school, his, him and his dad and a couple of their relatives went out and I was able to go with them. And then again, um, 
like I said, the late eighties went to Wyoming near Douglas, Wyoming, chasing mule deer and antelope. But it's more of a, you know, time to go thing because you're talking 10 days to two weeks. And that's for me, a long time to be out of the shop. Definitely. So I don't see it working. <laughs> so, but that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's when, that's when you put in, you know, pick a couple of months and you put in 14 hour days so that you can build up the hours <laughs> and take the time off. I'll figure out a way to get you out there, Greg, just sit here and talk to me long enough. <laughs> See, Greg, you just got to stop sleeping. Right. You got to stop sleeping. You need, yeah, there you, you only go. need, I mean, yeah. Ben Franklin needed four hours. <laughs> Something like that. So yeah, that's what, I, I'm fairly convinced that's what Steve's going to start doing here in the next five years. He's going to figure out some way that he only needs three hours of sleep. And that's what he's going to do. I actually very rarely sleep more than four and a half, five hours anyway. So I know you're always up. <laughs> can't beat him. Can't beat him. Can't beat him up. Can't beat him out of the house. It's he's just always going. But hey, um, Greg, you mentioned uh, you mentioned building black powder guns. Um, now you gonna steal? I wanted to go back to that. You're just gonna steal it from me. Go ahead, Nick. Well, you talk enough. <laughs> it's my turn to go back. <laughs> you were the one that just said, "Well, I don't want to ask all the questions." Well, now I am. So my show. All right. Anyway, black powder, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got real heavy into black powder for a long time, right up until I started making making bows, and then it slowed down a bit. But I got my first black powder gun when I was. 16 or 17 a Thompson Center Renegade I still have it and in the mid 80s I put a green mountain barrel on it so it would shoot really well and I competed quite a bit with that and then I got interested in flintlocks so I got a uh, inexpensive flintlock and got along with that for a little while and and it misfired more than it fired so I got rid of that and then built a real one because in those guns the lock is almost everything because if it doesn't go off it doesn't matter. Um, I end up building, I don't know, three or four guns, and I got uh, maybe half a dozen custom guns. Maybe not that many. I don't remember exactly. But one of them I built was a 58 caliber full stock flintlock hawking that I killed quite a few deer with. Of all the deer I've taken, which not that many, uh, almost all of them have been with flintlocks and round balls, or a good share of them, other than the, the four or five bow-killed deer. Do you still own those and hunt with them? I still have most of them, yep. When I went through my divorce a few years ago, I ended up selling several of them and uh, paid for my daughter's braces with them. <laughs> but I was able to keep quite a few also. But I I haven't gun hunted too much in the last several years either. I just kind of, when, uh, when bow season's over, I hunker down and I say before gun season starts in Michigan. <laughs> right. That part of bow season, I kind of stop hunting and just focus on uh, building bows and stuff. So it sounds like it was a pretty big bug at the time. So Yes, you know, it was. Yep. I, I mean, you said you built a couple, but it, it sounds like you were really, that was what you were doing for a little while. Um, have you ever, have you had the bug to build anymore? No. No, I, I got parts to build one, I think in 94 when I was just started building bows and then the bows got in the way of building the gun. So the gun never... <laughs> never got built nice and sent all the parts to a friend of mine and he built it for me. So I still have that one. That one's a, a 40 caliber full stock long rifle, but only a 36 inch barrel with it. And it's tapered one inch to seven eighths, I think. So it weighs about 10 and a half pounds. 
So that's a nice gun for shooting offhand. Which, like it, I said, I, I used to compete a lot, so you always wanted a rifle that's as heavy as you could hold, but heavy and nice and heavy so it would be stable, not be waving all over the place when you're mm-hmm. trying to hold on the center of the target. Because with a flintlock, you kind of got to follow through. That's what I was getting ready to ask. So these are all flintlocks. Yep. The, the Thompson Center Renegade was a percussion, and I shot that competitively for a while until I got in, until I got a, a decent flintlock, and then that kind of took over the uh, kind of competitive end of things. So what um, kind of competition? Michigan has oh, uh, fun shoots. The the club I used to belong to in Linden, Michigan, they have a couple of uh, a fun shoot in June and a half scale silhouette shoot in March. I used to do that a lot. And then I used to go to the Michigan State Championship shoot, which was just about all paper. And I did that for several years and then took some time off and then went back a couple of times. But I haven't been back doing that for, I don't know, 15 years maybe. But I did okay when I was doing it. Yeah, I know it's a big thing here uh, around here. I've heard of uh, the Cap and, Ball, uh, Cap and Ballers Club and, and things like that. And I know there's quite a few people in West Michigan that do it too. Um, and, uh, another, another MLA member was telling me about, um, about competing in like the, the silhouettes and kind of, kind of how, how it was almost like a 3d shoot. Um, but you can do it with, uh, you know, there, you can do it on, in canoes and all kinds of different stuff. And, and, you know, there's the element of keeping up all your, all your powder dry and all that stuff. And it was, it was really <laughs> fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to do a canoe shoot with a rifle anymore, just just for the safety aspect, probably. But the the silhouette matches we had, you'd start out, you'd shoot at 25 yards, 50, 75, 87 and a half, and 100. And it's four targets at each distance, and you have five minutes to shoot four shots. Then you'd have a break, you know, set targets up and stuff, and then start your next bank of targets. That's a lot of fun. So we did a half scale here in Linden, and then the club in Port Huron used to have a full scale silhouette match. So you're shooting at uh, bears that are three feet, I think they're three feet high steel bears at 200 yards with round balls. And that was entertaining. Yeah, that's, I've never, I've never done been into anything like that. That's a long shot with open sights and round balls. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I've never, I, I've never even, I used to do a lot of black powder hunting, um, but it was all percussion. I, I've never owned a flintlock, but it is, it has been on my want list for a while. And the more we do this podcast and, and people like you get on here and talking about them, I, I really want one badly. <laughs> but I've, I've got way too many wants and not enough Benjamins. So. <laughs> yeah. And to get a good one, you don't just go to, Cabela's and buy it either. They're right. It's some some serious coin to get a good quality flintlock. Well, and I keep saying I, I've kept I've been saying for a while if I did it I was going to buy a kit and do it myself. But the the other aspect of that is I think if I bring one more hobby in the house I I might find myself <laughs> out of the house. So yeah, uh, same here. It's 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 that'd be one more thing that would sit in the shop that you know, would just be there another project. I just never, never get around to it. 
Oh no, that's not me. I would just, I would obsess over it. So from the time it showed up, that would be all I would think about and all I would <laughs> want to do until it was functional. And then it would depend on how much I enjoyed that as to whether or not I would start the next one. So yeah, I'm better off. I've gotten in similar trouble. <laughs> Based on what you're saying about your, your, your work habits, uh, that doesn't surprise me, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> That was a previous life when I was building those and uh, trying to sneak every spare minute into the into working on them. But like you said, once you get started, you don't want to stop until it's done. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot more work involved in those than there is in making a bow. A lot more tedious. Yeah, I, I actually wondered about that. Um, the... I, you know, I've seen people build kits. I follow several people on Instagram that, you know, make, you know, build muzzle loaders and a couple people on uh, Facebook too. I think Cabin Creek muzzle loading is one of them that just, man, the guns are just absolutely gorgeous. But it, it always seemed to me like they, there wasn't as much to them as there was a, a bow. Uh, you would think a bow, you know, you're because of the tillering and everything else. Um, what is all the, uh, what is all the details that goes into building a, a black powder rifle, I guess? Um, well, you have to hand inlet the lock, the triggers, the trigger plate, the butt plate, um, all the thimbles, uh, side plate. If you put a patch box on it, you have to inlet that. Um, you have to make sure the, the barrel fits correctly. And then the, uh, the breech plug has a tang on it. That usually needs to be inlet. Uh, you know, and you want it, the the better job you do, the better it looks when you're done because gaps don't look real nice between wood and metal. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just real time consuming. You know, I'm sure people that do it a lot are probably get really efficient at it. I didn't get to that level doing that. You know, when you two or, do building two or three of them isn't getting proficient. That's, that's just doing it. So you don't have to pay somebody else to do it. You know, getting something functional that looks okay. And I mean, you are discharging yeah. powder and a projectile too, so <laughs> you know, a small explosion yep. in, in in a in a tool <laughs> that you're building. I guess I guess you well, would have to spend a lot of time on making sure that was all correct. Yeah, fortunately, I think you can buy all your barrels already breached, and that helps. If the breech plug is properly fitted, then you're that's the biggest item, and the pressures are way 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 lower than they are on any cartridge gun. Sure. Well, and I'll be honest, I made the um, I made the switch to the more modern black powder for a few years while I was doing it, almost. Uh, and it wasn't so much about the modern muzzleloader as it was. I was also big into hunting with handguns at the time, and I bought a um, a TC Encore. So, you know, I, ba I bought the um, the fifty caliber black powder, but then I also had the receiver that I could, you know, mount pistol barrels on and change the, the stock out to a grip and so forth. It was more of a functionality thing, but I'll be honest yep. after, after I, after I tried that thing a couple of times, I didn't care much for it from a perspective of obviously it was not, it was not the same as a Hawken or, or a, a traditional black powder rifle, but man, when it came to cleaning that thing, it was so much, it was so much easier <laughs> to be able to just remove that breech plug and, 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 wash it in the in the bathtub put everything back together than than the 
and washing a, a, a or cleaning a a standard you know flintlock or or percussion rifle is just it's a pain. I must admit it's 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 that's the part I like about it the least. Yep, that's the nice thing about shooting a bow. You don't have to clean it when you're done. Oh, you can no. if you want. I've, but had, you I've, had, to, I've had to clean mine a few times. <laughs> <laughs> there's not too much black powder residue on them though. No, but there's Georgia red clay and and. <laughs> And if you're Tom Jurgensen, there's all kinds of briar scratches all over your brand new bow. <laughs> I hope he, I hope he listens to this one and hears that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, give us, um, give us a, 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 well, it could be quick or it could be long. Give us a, give us a hunting story. It doesn't matter which which weapon, whether it was a black powder or, or uh, uh, one of your bows. But what's your what's your favorite hunting experience? Hunting hunting moment? Hunting story? Okay, I just thought about this earlier today. That's not one where I was successful. It was in uh, 1987. I saw this deer while I was bow hunting. I was sitting on the edge of a little pothole, kind of looking out over the edge of a hayfield, and I heard something up behind me, and I turned around and looked through the brush, and all I saw was antlers. This buck probably was not more than 10 yards behind me, goofing around back there, and he worked around to my right, towards the edge of the field and I think it took him about 10 or 15 minutes to go those 10 or 15 yards right and I was all I was all set I was carrying my compound at the time but I figured that one or two steps into that field and I'm going to get a shot well the first step on the end of the field was on a dead run you know he didn't even give me a chance so this buck was huge um, then come November 15th I'm out with my muzzle loader. Uh, again, sitting in that same area in a little bit different spot, and this buck comes out into the hayfield with some does, and he made the does look like little puppy dogs next to him. And I took a longer than I should have shot at him and missed completely. But he took off running uh, off to my right, so I reloaded my gun, and I thought, well, why not? I'll go see if I can catch up with him. So. We have a pond on the farm, and I got over by the pond, and I was on one end, and he was just coming around on the other side, and I'm just thinking about getting a shot, and I hear a boom, and my dad was just inside the woods, and he dropped him. Wow. <laughs> right there on the edge the edge of the pond. And that deer, after hanging for a couple days, he the field dress weight was 200 pounds, and he was only like a seven point, but a 23-inch inside spread. So it was, you know, not a huge rack but a big deer yeah mm-hmm. so that's my story i won't forget now with the with the black powder gregor you mostly doing patch round ball or are you shooting yep. uh, okay i did shoot one one deer with a mini ball out of that 58 caliber hawking just because one day at the range i shot him and i i think at 25 yards i had a one hole group you know off a bench right and I thought, well that's good enough do you remember the so i want to I think they were called. Were they? Was it buffalo, buffalo balls or something like that? But buffalo bullets. Buffalo yeah, they were bullets. one of the conical. Yep. yep, one of the conical projectiles that was available. So I had, a, in fact, I've, I've actually got the the deer mounted. I shot a a six point with one of those many years ago. I don't know if I've talked about that on here or not, but the deer when I pulled the trigger, the deer dropped, and it was a mistake I never made again with a, a muzzle loader, but. When it when it dropped, I just started walking up towards him, and I got within about eight feet of him, and he jumped up and took off running like he had never been touched. And I'm standing <laughs> I'm standing there with an empty 
muzzleloader and never could find any blood or anything, but it had been wet and you could follow his track. And me and a buddy of mine ended up looking for that. We finally found that deer at like one thirty the ne- that morning. Uh, he never bled a drop. And when I walked up on him, he was in a bed and all he could do was lift his head and he, he couldn't even lift his head straight. He'd lifted up and he'd kind of roll to one side and I, I put another one in him and finished him off and we got him back. And, you know, that was the, the second, the second shot was the only shot that, that broke the skin. We finally found where the first bullet hit him was kind of between his shoulder blades on the top of his back and just took a patch of hair out on the top of his back about the size of a quarter. And the only thing we could figure is it just did enough damage to his spine and it was slowly, you know, taking him out. But it oh was my weird, word. It was the weirdest thing. If it hadn't I, been on my, my father's farm where I grew up and just knew it like the back of my hand, I don't know that we'd ever found him. But I just happened yeah, to I, hit him with my flashlight. I shot quite a few deer with round balls, and I think I only had one that didn't exit. And it was a 100-yard shot on a uh, spike that I end up shooting him in the heart. This is a 50 caliber, and it went, you know, through and I think lodged just under the skin on the other side because the, the processors gave me the ball back, and it was basically just a flat piece of lead. But it went all the way through. You know, there's not a ton of energy left at 100 yards. Those round balls lose speed fast. Yep, yep. But there's enough, and everything else has been with 54s and 58s, the hole all the way through. Everything I've ever hunted with was a, was 50. I've never, I don't think I've ever hunted with anything bigger than 50 cal. That's enough. It, it it is. If you know, it puts a hurting on them. Growing up in North Carolina, that that was probably the best time to be in the woods was during the the primitive weapons season. Um, I hunted every year and probably took some of my nicest deer during that, during that week, or at least had the opportunity. I, I've got other stories there where the gun didn't fire, <laughs> hang fire. I probably one of the biggest, at that time, it would have been the biggest buck I'd ever, I'd ever shot came across the field running towards me. You could tell he was on the track of a doe. He had his nose to the ground, looked like a dog running back and forth. And I, I was just standing in the middle of the field and he's coming towards me and I've, I've got the gun up and I waited till he stopped and I pulled the trigger and the hammer fell and I heard a pop and nothing. And he's just standing there looking at me and I'm looking at him <laughs> and I went to, I went to let the gun down and it, it went off and blew dirt everywhere. Just basically <laughs> right in front of him. Um, but it was probably a good, you know, three to four second hang time before that thing went off. Scary stuff. <laughs> Yeah, was was that with black powder or Pyrodex? Uh, I'm sure it was Pyrodex, and it was a it was a CVA Hawking. I do remember it was a CVA Hawking yeah. 50 cal percussion. But for the the very brief amount of time that I used the synthetic powder was the only time I had hang fires and misfires. But the, the real stuff tends to work pretty good. That's the only time I I ever had a problem, and and it was that morning. It was very wet. It was misty, rainy, just damp, nasty. Yeah. Um, that's the only one I ever had. But I'm trying to remember. I know I tried the power deck, uh, not power decks, the, the the black powder for a while, but um, it seemed like at the time it was almost impossible to find black powder. You pretty much had it was power decks or nothing else. Yeah, the the requirements on it are pretty tight for selling it these days too i think you mean your regular black powder yeah 
I haven't bought any in quite a while. I I have a still have a stock from when I used to shoot quite a bit. So I'm not in need of finding any. Well, Greg, as we're as we start thinking about wrapping this thing up, because I know you need to you need to get back into the shop. Because now you know I'm gonna feel like Nick and I robbed you from an hour and a half of hunting time. <laughs> um, but <laughs> what? what what other what other outdoor activities do you do you enjoy participating in? Are there are there any, or have we pretty much covered them all? That that's pretty much it. When my uh, kids were growing up, one of my sons played baseball a lot, so doing that with him was a lot of fun. He played and played travel ball for two or well, several summers, so that kept me busy. But now he he just graduated from Michigan State this year and gainfully employed and hasn't played ball in a while. I love to doing that with him, but no, other than that, we've, we've got a, a nice little place here, uh, six acres. We got six chickens this year. So now my breakfast is being provided for me right at home. We put feed out for deer. So we have deer out here almost every day, not baiting them, just feeding them. <laughs> I hear you. Cause I'm not going to hunt. I'm not going to hunt them here. It's just nice. Well, good deal. Well, Greg, I really, I know, like I said, I know, I know we took you away from your, your, at least a few, uh, an hour of your work. So I don't want to keep you any longer. Yeah. Nick, you got anything else you wanted to, you wanted to bring up? Nope. I had fun listening to you guys talk about, uh, talk about your muzzle loading experiences because I haven't done it yet. I think, uh, that was a great <laughs> way to cap it off. And it's been, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Greg. Thanks. Yeah. You need to go visit that Grand Valley club nick i think that's probably the biggest muzzle loading group in the state and has been for as long as i've known yeah i heard about that i i'm gonna have to look into that for sure i i used to see i when i used to go to tom hackbart's shop um black dog outfitter in there they 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 always had pamphlets in there and i always used to look at them but i never i always kind of said someday you know oh, i'll have to one of these days well, and I've got, we've got several other people that actually have, have approached me about wanting to be on the show. So we're, we're going to be spending more time talking about black powder, Nick, cause, um, uh, Henry Javier, uh, cash took Bowcraft, you know, he's mm-hmm. gotten really big into making the muzzle loaders and he makes some beautiful guns. Uh, he's wanting to be on and another guy, Sean Clarkson, who, uh, I've gotten to know, um, pretty well on Facebook. Um, in fact, we're, we're talking about trying to get together doing a hunt, but he, um, he's really big into, um, the flintlocks and the, and the muzzleloaders and wants to, wants to come on and talk about that. So I'm going to have to get some more of those lined up because I do, I do really enjoy talking about it and I used to really enjoy doing it. And like I've said before, uh, you know, the only other type of hunting other than traditional bow hunting that I think I would, I would, like to get back into and do again at some point will be the, 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 the traditional black powder, you know, flintlocks. Cause it's a lot of fun. I, and I can tell you, Nick, you would, you would enjoy it. It's just a lot of, except cleaning them. I don't enjoy cleaning them. <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's, of fun. And, and that's not that bad once you get a, a system. It's not, you know, it, it, it and, really isn't. But again, I'll tell you being able to just take a wrench and remove the breech plug, it'll spoil you. I mean, it's definitely yep. not the same as and, traditional black powder, but it will spoil you in the, the easiness of it. Mm. And I wasn't a, and I wasn't a hot water guy for cleaning mine either. Cause that'll remove the oils that are kind of, you, you want your barrel kind of seasoned like a cast iron fry pan. Right. 
and once it's seasoned, as soon as you use hot water or any detergent, you kind of take the seasoning out, then you got to reseason it. So if you okay. clean it cold, you keep it seasoned and no detergents. You don't need to. So you were just using just cold water and nothing else? Uh, mo- mostly water, yeah. And I use some, some uh, black powder solvent, but it's not a degreaser of any sort, you know. Yeah, see, I'm 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 afraid to admit that I must have been doing it wrong because if if I remember correctly, I was always using. I can't remember on my old my old black powder. I know on the the modern the modern black powder rifle, which again I didn't hunt with it, maybe two or three times. I know I used it in Indiana one time, but um, it was a stainless steel barrel, so it didn't really matter on that. Yeah. But I I can't remember on the. It seemed like I was using something that was made strictly for uh, cleaning black powder guns at the time, but I can't remember if it was something that um, Thompson Center made or what, but it it wasn't like I was using hot water and dish detergent. It was something else. I just don't remember. It's been too many years ago. If you want to see a a catalog of a lot of stuff, check out Track of the Wolf. I've been on that site way too much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I have not heard of it. Yeah, they're up in uh, Minneapolis, but they have a, a very nice website and a huge thick catalog. And all the you get stuff the catalog is, for it, about eight bucks. And all of the stuff in it's really cheap, Nick. So, oh yeah, I just need another really cheap hobby. You can probably get all the part. You can get all the parts for a nice gun for. Probably eight hundred to a grand, I think. Yeah, I already, I already got that into fly rods. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll <laughs> stick with that for a little bit, for a little while, <laughs> before another adventure happens. It's interesting for sure. I'd like to do it someday. Nick will wait around for me to buy and build one, and then he'll come down here and shoot it. That's what, that's what'll end up happening. Well, I'm not coming down there again. Oh, you're done, huh? <laughs> 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 you, you've had a, you've had enough insult. <laughs> he he yeah, chased I'll, all the deer away. I'll I'll talk him into it again. It, it may take it may take me a week or two, but I, seriously, we did we did pretty much decide that the next time Nick and I hunt together, um, other than other than Michigan, because I am planning on going up there again next year, but we're I think we're going to pick a neutral state. So see if we can see if we can find deer for Nick to run off in Kentucky or something, or, or a different activity altogether. Uh, that may be the case like too. Like a fishing trip, because I I would like to get down there and fish the the Chattahoochee. Oh, you that. would you would definitely love fishing the Chattahoochee. Yep, no doubt about it. Well, Greg, we're gonna let you get back to uh, making making sawdust, man. We we really appreciate you taking the time to join us again. I can't thank you enough for your your support of the show. Huh um to this point we you know i really appreciate that as well and and now i'm just looking forward to getting my american now that i know what the model see i didn't even know what the model was until tonight (laughs) that was worth the price of admission for me right there (laughs) well thanks for having me on i appreciate it it's been fun yep all right nick as always thank you bud yep you too and uh try to you guys try to stay warm up there okay we'll do All right, guys. Y'all take care. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.